Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, a look back at some of the show's highlights this week. And our studio guest this afternoon is a creative economist. Not sure what that means? Well, let's ask her to explain. Erica Rushton, what exactly do you do? <laughs> um, OK, creative economist is a term I suppose I've come up with quite recently. Um, so what do I do? I think I make places and people the best they can be or that's my interest Um, so I started life as a visual artist mooched mooched across into economic development and then over the last few years have mooched back into the arts Um, and so combine those two worlds really and this means you have been responsible for multi-million pound regeneration projects where on earth do you start with something like that Um, well I have been responsible for multi-million pound regeneration projects, but they have mostly started with something really simple. Um, And so, for example, um, I was involved in um, the Granby Toxteth Community Land Trust, a recent winner of the Turner Prize along with Assemble. Um, And I would say that began with two things, really. Um, one was a lady who was sick of living in a street that wasn't sweeped and she picked up a sweeping brush and she began to sweep her street and other people joined in and that's how multi-million pound regeneration projects start. Oh, I feel a movie coming on. <laughs> that's such a great story. <laughs> well, we will be hearing more of those stories a little bit later, Erica, but what exactly are you doing here on the island? You flew in this morning. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm speaking tonight at the Market Hall um, where a group of um, creatives, artists, the the college on, on the island have really been populating that space for a little while now with creative activity Um, and I'm talking about how you harness that creative activity to drive an economy. Um, Love the fact you talked about you you started in art and you've kind of moved back to that. Um, One of my favourite things that I've read about you is that you use art as a way of expression perhaps when you're at home and you've had an argument with your husband. (laughs) Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> How does that work? Well, you know, there are some arguments that you can't win. And there are some are some people who think they argue better than you. And I can't always find the words to argue back. Um, so I take myself off in a corner and I paint a picture. And that's my way of getting my own back. <laughs> are they very angry looking? <laughs> They're really mixed, actually. Because, you know, sometimes you don't even know what you think. And one of the nice things about painting, and I'm not a serious painter, you know, I'm a hobbyist painter, really. But actually the process of creativity often allows you to work out what it is you think. You know, when you have an argument and you sort of, you go away and then about, what, I don't know, half an hour, maybe even a day later, you think, oh, I should have said that. Do you go back to your painting at that point and sort of add another little bit there? That's absolutely what I do. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't stop that painting until I have won that argument. Well, Erica, um, how did you start out in the work that you do? Who was your main inspiration in this? Um, I I probably would have to say my dad. My dad was a larger-than-life character. Um, He, um, I don't know if you remember, around the year 2000, there was lots of, um, was it, centenary events street parties all that kind of thing and the women in Pickering the small town I was brought up in 
um, in the Women's Institute created a big tapestry that is now hanging on the wall of the museum in Pickering, which my dad was involved in setting up. And on, on that tapestry is my dad dressed as a woman. Um, because every year in the Pickering Carnival, which he was also involved in setting up, he would dress up as an outrageous dame type woman um, and that wasn't always a great thing when you were a teenager. <laughs> I was the girl who at school's father dressed up as a woman who went down the local pub to a fancy dress night one night, um, a night early in his fancy dress. Oh, but you know oh. what? He stayed anyway. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he, he was a maker hatner. So, so in terms of that make things happen kind of scale, you know, kind of knocking around with him as a kid and travelling with him as a kid and journeying around the region with him as a kid, I suppose I picked up that interest, talent, art, whatever it is. Did you pick up his flamboyance too? Well, I do dress up as a woman, but I'm allowed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there is, there, there is a picture of me at the last um, Christmas market in Granby dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Eric, you, you went to art school. Um, that was a particularly difficult time for you, though, because it was while you were there that your, your brother committed suicide. What was that period of your life like, if you can possibly put that into words? Um, well, probably lots of it I don't remember, actually. You know, you park things. Um, but it probably was where I learned that you could paint out what you felt. Um, I'd sat at home a long time and a boyfriend at the time, you know, I wasn't going to art school, all that had happened and, you know, it was a devastating period in the whole of my family's lives, particularly that of my parents. Um, but he said, why not just start to draw? And actually it was, it was that comment that got me back into thinking, actually I can participate in life again. I'm not going to kind of immerse myself in grief forever. And I think you know if I took anything away from that it was a determination really that you know if I was ever personally going to contemplate anything like that I was going to have done everything I wanted to do first regardless of what anybody else thought so when you talk about flamboyancy it's a kind of willingness to go there really that um, I'm sometimes willing. And you say it, it made you able to see the positive in everything and everyone um, and then presumably gave you the strength to deal with your own battle because you had cancer when your daughter was just two years of age. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if you can imagine... Well, for those who are mums, you probably can imagine thinking, OK, I might have to leave you in the care of my partner. And in that 10 days when I was waiting for those results, um, I had to get to a point of knowing I could leave her with him. Um, it was quite a moment. You're listening to Women Today on Manx Radio, 26 minutes to three. Now, I mentioned uh, earlier that we had a started rather interesting conversation about uh, board members and why our studio guest, Erica Rushton, thinks that we should have boards that are entirely made up of uh, women and quotas just being a, a minimum way of achieving that. What are your thoughts on that, Christy? It sounds like a wonderful idea, but I would just always say surely it should be more about the merit of the individual regardless of their gender uh, than just sort of saying, let's just have all women because there are all men. Um, yeah, but I think um, it's, you, you know, you only get good at being on a board by being on a board. So some of it's about giving people the opportunity to get good and then it 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 will be about quality, not quotas and 
women will be good on boards. Um, you know, Baltic Creative that I chair um, has five women on the board. They're all good. We weren't all good when we started. Now I think we're brilliant. Do you think that women then um, intrinsically have something entirely different to offer? Do you think that, you know, sort of even if it is just what well, we need to, to sort of balance out the gender here, that they will add something just because they are women? I think women, but not only women, I think the diversity of boards is absolutely critical. That, of course, we all bring something different. We bring a different perspective. And that's not to say, you know, the board, the boards I serve on, um, one's majority women, one's got 50% women. We don't think as one. We don't all agree. We disagree. Nor do the men think all as one. Um, but we each bring something different. But I don't think it's only about women. I think you know boards are predominantly male, predominantly white, and predominantly pretty well off male. You know, actually, <laughs> there's a lot of men never get the chance to go on a board. Um, and I think that thing about becoming good. Um, give people the opportunity, they will achieve that merit. I'm just really interested, Erica, in where your drive for this sort of this feminist, I think you come across as quite a feminist person, uh, has come from, because you were talking at the beginning of the show about your main inspiration really being your dad. Who is your, your, your feminist icon, as it were? <laughs> um, I don't know, really. Um, but what I mean, is it that's driven this? I mean, it's clearly something that you're incredibly passionate about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for... For both my parents, they didn't tell us that things would stand in the way. I'm one of three sisters, um, and so I think for both of them, they presumed we would achieve. Um, so it was never a question. And I think having that investment of confidence, um, you know, some of the best people that I've ever worked with have invested their confidence in me. But the opposite can be destroying. If you do not invest your confidence in somebody, then you presume they're not capable. And I think there is nothing more undermining. And so, you know, like that question on, about boards, um, you know, wh when we set up Baltic Creative, we had applications from seven women and 50-some guys because most women did not think they were good enough to sit on a board. They thought they didn't have the skills or the experience or the qualities. But those 50-some guys thought they were good enough. How have you instilled this sense of being good enough in your own daughter? Oh, hope I have. <laughs> um, I think I have always presumed that she will be fantastic. And I have always told her that she is fantastic and beautiful and able. Um, maybe I've told her too often because she can be quite, quite a scary individual. <laughs> but I hope her world knows no bounds. You're listening to Women Today on... As we mentioned last week, former Women Today guest, friend of the show... I'm just going to steal that. Mm -hmm. that. That's okay to say that, isn't it, I think? She is a friend of the yeah, show. Yeah, she is. Uh, Kirsty Russell was very successful in completing her mission to take part in the Mongol rally. This meant she drove across some of the most dangerous and difficult parts of the globe in what can only be described as an old banger of a car, which she named the Purple Turtle, and which bought was uh, bought for a packet of crisps. She is safely back on the island and uh, she joins us now live on the phone to tell us how it all went. Uh, Kirsty made it back in one piece. Just about, yeah. <laughs> there was times I thought I wouldn't, but we made it. Uh, what about the purple turtle? Um, the purple turtle is currently stuck in Siberia. Um, we've had to pay for it to come back on the Trans-Siberian Express. And then we're actually picking her up from Estonia in about a month's time, hopefully. Right, OK. Well, that'll be some welcome home, I imagine, for, uh, yes. for her. <laughs> uh, but just tell us then, put into words what this experience was like. 
Um, it's just been incredible. It's it's really hard to describe because there's uh, there's so many different parts of the actual trip, and obviously it lasted uh, a good six weeks, and we had some major major downs and major rocks as well, and it was just it, it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, some of those major downs, you were refused entry at certain borders. I understand. <laughs> Um, yeah, we refused entry from one border, um, and that set us back uh, in the wrong direction from the finish line by 400 kilometres. So it was um, added an extra day onto our trip. Um, but actually, the, the main problem that we had um, was we were deported from Turkmenistan um, after it took us five days to get into the country and then another day and a half to get out. Oh my goodness! So what on earth do you do when that happens? Uh, try not to freak out basically um this yeah there's not a lot we could do um they asked us if we, we uh, to pay uh, about $500 each to not be deported um and then we found out that it was only three ATMs in the entire country and it's it's not a small country and none of them were, any, were nearby so um you know the only other option was to be deported but they just deported us onto the next country so the only problem was that it took about a day and a half and uh, we've got a deportation stamp on our passports now. <laughs> um, well, Kessie, I understand that music also played an important part uh, and meant you could actually achieve this. Yes. Um, yeah, we basically we had a couple of iPods and they stopped working with the CD player and we only took two albums with us for the entire trip, uh, which were great rock hits and some dad rock um, so they were pretty much being played constantly on repeat for the entire trip uh, until we got given three Taylor Swift albums to sort of mix it up a bit. Uh, speaking of dad rock, I have had um, a text from Ronnie uh, who oh, says, I should ask you how many times you crashed on Saturday during the Douglas Soapbox derby. <laughs> uh, three times. Right. Okay. <laughs> all, all three times, every single time that was. <laughs> well, um, Casey, I mean, just an incredible adventure to look back on. If you had to pick out a couple of highlights, what would they be? Um, I would say definitely the uh, Silk Road route, um, which took us through Tajikistan and uh, Kyrgyzstan. It was, aside from getting quite ill, it was absolutely incredible scenery and um, the people there are really hospitable. And we uh, we had some, uh, we were convoying with another, another couple of teams. So we were riding on the roof racks um, as we were driving through the mountains, which was great. Just sounds unbelievable. Yeah. I, I hope you uh, filmed a lot of this because we were talking about something else that could have made a film earlier. Christia, I can just see this now on, in, on the yeah. big screen. Oh, totally. Did, did you have like a GoPro with you or anything, Kirsty? Did anything um, get filmed? Yeah, we had uh, two GoPros and a dash cam. And actually, um, in the first leg of our trip from London to Romania, um, we were actually, we had a film crew in the car with us um, the entire way for a documentary that's being made by Lonely Planet, um, which should be released sort of mid next year um, on one of the National National Geographic programs, I think it is. So I'm not sure how that's going to pan out because that's when we had a lot of car trouble, but um, it'll be interesting to see anyway. That'll add to the drama. Does that mean that the Women Today Cup might make it onto television? <laughs> it might do. <laughs> Just if anyone doesn't know, by the way, Kirsty actually brought a Women Today Travel Cup on the entire journey with her and took a photo of it on the finish line of the rally. <laughs> um, so, Kirsty, so you're back. You know, you've had a, a few days to sort of, you know, get used to, to life back here. Uh, yeah. You're planning your next adventure? Um, yeah, I'm kind of thinking of it anyway. Um, I'd like to do it on two wheels next time. Um, possibly not the, the, the Mongol rally, um, but maybe something else. Uh 
yeah, not too not too sure yet. Just sort of mulling it over. And uh, you're still raising money, aren't you, on the back of this? Yeah, I think I, you know it sort of makes sense that now that I've actually done it, um, you might be able to raise even more money because um, I think a lot of people thought at the start of the fundraising that it was just a holiday, and now that they've seen all the you know, trouble we've had to go through and the money we've spent and just all, all the effort, I mean, it was a real endurance test. Um, yeah, I think I think they might appreciate more what we've actually done and. Um, be more willing to to make donations so just going to try and push that the next couple of months really and maybe do another couple of uh, fundraising events brilliant and you can be found on facebook obviously but just just one last quick question were there many other women on the trip um women were outnumbered uh, yeah no yeah that's right um women were outnumbered nine to one by men um so there weren't many um there was actually one team of girls um, they were all strangers and there were six of them and they were in two cars um, so they, they've sort of made it quite famous after the rally um, but yeah, uh, nine to one so it's definitely a lot more men Oh Kirsty, thank you so yeah. much for joining us just remind us what you were actually fundraising for uh, I was fundraising for Wish Upon a Dream, Isle of Man um, which uh, grants wishes to terminally ill children living on the island Oh well Kirsty, huge congratulations absolutely thank incredible you. adventure thank you so much for taking the time to tell us all about it and we'll put a, a link to your fundraising again on the Women Today Facebook page uh, Kirsty Russell there, take, I'd, I'd probably get a lift with Kirsty. I mean I'll Have you to... seen her drive? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she does wear a hot dog costume you know when she's driving <laughs> <laughs> Yeah we didn't mention that. Women Today, brought to you by CityWing.com for your next flight away. So this afternoon, finding out about Cafe Lingo. Now, this is a project aimed at supporting newcomers to the island for whom English is not their first language. And we're joined by Karen Norton, who is involved in this. Now, Karen, how exactly is this going to work? Because it starts, what, October the 15th? It does. It's for an hour on a Saturday morning with a free cup of tea, cup of coffee, and it'll be conversation-based, but with language games and some writing and reading. And the really interesting thing is that this is all volunteers who are going to be doing this. That's right. Um, And what sort of qualifications do you need to be able to hold these sessions? Um, Well, it's an advantage to have a TEFL qualification, teaching English as a foreign language. And I'm actually three quarters of the way there now. I will be finished in time. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. Ha ha ha. (laughs) And it's been very interesting. Because even though I've done a lot of courses, particularly for special needs and literacy, that it, this is different, it's like different slant to it. And when we're talking about people for whom English isn't their first language, I mean, how many different nationalities do you anticipate that you're going to be dealing with? As many as want to come. Um, so far, we've had help, sorry, from, um, po- we've had interest from Polish people, Brazilian, Italian, Bulgarian, so, so really, the, the interest is, is massive in this. And I'm guessing that aspect of helping people integrate with Manx life is going to be uh, really important as well. Are you going to be teaching them Manx sayings? You know, are they going to be learning about skeet and trade I think they, they've got to be, yes. I'm hoping that perhaps before Timwald, we could have a Manx Saturday morning where we could learn about Manx customs and learn a few Manx words and phrases. But I'll need a little bit of help with those myself. <laughs> it was interesting you were saying as well um, that the thing that's maybe a little bit different about this group is that you're allowing children to come along as well so families can come together. That's right. Well, one of the main motivators of this was the sense that there are particularly mothers out there 
who are socially isolated, they're at home with young children, they're perhaps not mixing in an English language based environment and it's very hard for them to learn the language and therefore it's hard in their day-to-day -day life outside the home. So we thought we can't just offer to teach adults, we need to make it available for children too. Um, the emphasis will be on the adults, but we're going to have a children's area which will be fully supervised and do singing, things like that with them. And the great thing about this, Karen, is that you're not charging for these lessons. Oh no, well we didn't want to disadvantage anybody who might not be able to afford them. So it's very important that it's free and they'll get their cup of tea or coffee free as well. <laughs> now, English notoriously is an incredibly difficult language to learn. So, mm. I, I mean, you say you're going, you are going to start with the basics, the conversational side of it. But how how do you approach a group of people who all speak different languages and, and get them all speaking English? Yes, one of the difficulties will be that they'll probably have different levels of ability to start with. Um, so we'll have to do ongoing informal assessments really in order to pitch it at the right levels but we would start with things like hello what's your name my name is and so forth and um, actually tonight we're, we're working on the program for it where we're building up a structured program because one of the the most important things as well as the vocabulary is the tenses English tenses are tricky um, there are so many of them and they might not necessarily translate into other languages as well. So we'll be having a structured programme to introduce those as well. What about for people who come over to the island and need to, I don't know, approach government, need to fill in a form, for example, because that must be so difficult if you have no grasp of the English language at all. Well, that's a service that we are offering. It depends on the nature of the form or the letter. If it's a letter from nursery, we might be able to ask for informal translation. But if it's a legal document, we would need to have very accurate translation. An example here would be that um, Mike Crane of the Fishermen's Association in Peel has been um, advertising for us in the fish yards and has come across a group of Bulgarians who are looking to have their employment forms translated. I wasn't able to find anybody on the island who could do that at a level or was free to do that at a level that I thought was perhaps good enough for a legal document. So I've established a link now with the Bulgarian Embassy in London um, and they've given me a list of sworn in tr translators and I've been in touch with three of them. So we're just waiting for the updated employment forms to get quotes to then get them translated. Oh, that's so. incredible, Karen. <laughs> and how do you let people know, um, the people that you that need to know about these uh, these sessions, how do you let them know that they're actually going to be happening? Right, we've tried all sorts of ways to let them know. This, of course, is one of them. Um, at the moment, we're distributing flyers. We've gone to the job centre. They're actually putting um, our flyer on the moving screen. I've forgotten the name of it, but uh, it's like a television screen with moving images on it. And uh, we've been through to doctor's surgeries, um, Polish takeaway, Robinson's, all sorts of places, wherever we think uh, that there will be people there using that, that service that might want to use ours. Presumably you had to um, create the flyer in different languages in order to be able to sort of reach the right people. Well, yes, and that, that was quite amusing really because I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. We just choose two 
very simple phrases, learn English, it's free, and I go on to Google Translate. That'll be easy enough to do. But it wasn't quite that straightforward um, because I subsequently found out that the Polish actually said, learn English, it's liberation. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go back to the drawing board on that one. Uh, just finally, from the point of view of integration for, for people both new to the island and to island residents as well, how important do you think it is to get rid of that us and them mentality, which I think is quite pervasive. Oh, I can't speak. Pervasive. That's the word, yes. <laughs> Thanks. I think it's really important because we're all in this life together, aren't we? And I wouldn't want anybody to feel that they have to take everything. Everybody wants to give and hopefully everybody can benefit. Well, just remind us again how people get involved with this. If they'd like to be a volunteer or if they'd like to um, use our service, they could go to our Facebook page, Cafe Lingo Isle of Man, or contact me on 458-340. It's quarter to three, and now we're going to find out about plans to start what is believed to be the Isle of Man's first preschool choir. Our studio guest is Ruth Tickle, who works for a company that runs preschool music classes, which also include teaching sing-along signing, uh, particularly for children who have difficulty communicating, whether they're late in speech development or other issues as well, Ruth. Yeah, um, the lady who set my moves up, Karen McCaffrey, um, her, her daughter Maya struggled with some speech and language development and um, Karen was at the time involved in music, preschool music classes and so decided it'd be really great for children like Maya to have signing involved but great for us all to uh, learn how to sign. And it's amazing how quickly very, very young children pick it up. Yeah, they pick it up so quickly. And um, and the great thing is that then I've been up at Cronkerberry School and after a few weeks, they're so good at it and they come to me in the corridor and they don't speak to me, they sign to me. So <laughs> it's great. So talk to us then about this preschool choir. Where did the idea come from? Well, the idea came from because we've seen in, in the baby and toddler classes that we run that the kids really love singing um, and some of them will come and sing their little hearts out. And we thought it'd be really great just to have one session that is just singing so it's basically going to be a half an hour session and it's aimed at children age three upwards so we're just in their last couple of years before they go to school and it, they're just going to come and we're going to do some warming up of our voices and our uh, bodies and we're going to sing some songs and we're going to play some instruments while we sing and we're also going to do some signing while we sing as well. How many children are you anticipating having in your choir? We like to have about 15 in all of our classes but we're reasonably flexible so if we have more or less than that then we can work with that. I'm just looking at you thinking, ha, oh, 15 three-year-olds, <laughs> really? Uh, yes, yeah, it is a lot of fun. It keeps you on your toes, that's for sure. <laughs> so where do you start in, in trying to, to get them all to sing together? I mean, what sort of skills do you need? Because you're, you're quite used to, to leading choirs, aren't you? Yeah, I think a really important thing is to start with something that they know. So all of our sessions, the preschool choir or the school sessions or whatever they may be, we always start with our Mayamu song. And that really settles them and helps them to understand where they are and we sit on our mats in a nice little um, circle and generally they're really good. You get the odd one or two that wander off, but they always come back. <laughs> I think Christy's looking at you, hoping you're going to so, sing the yeah, Maya Moose song. The Maya Moose song? <laughs> oh, yes. This is Karen's song um, that she used to sing to her daughter Maya. You wanting me to sing yes. it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll sing you a little bit. Maya, moo, 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 push to the front and shake a tree. <laughs> oh, I love it already. We need to learn that then. Do you think we can pretend that we're preschool age and join yeah. in? Yeah. Well, certainly your behaviour sometimes. Isn't it? <laughs> How very dare you. Um, but when it comes to performing then, what what is the idea? What's the hope for this choir? Well, the hope is that the choir can go on and perform. Um, um, I don't know, maybe we can do Christmas performances for family and friends, or maybe we can get involved in the Manx Music Festival. Um, the hope is to go on and do that, but um, basically we need to get the choir going first and give them a, a wee while to get their feet before we uh, chuck them in there. What is it about music that all children seem to love? Because I don't think I have ever met a young child that doesn't in some way react to music in a positive way. I know, I don't know what it is, but there is, like you say, in all children from a very, very early age that they'll smile and they'll giggle and they'll respond and obviously we sing to them and they go to sleep and there's just something in us that... Um, that music is just tuned into and, and they just all love it. And that's why I enjoy my job because just seeing their little faces, even when they're making a, a racket with triangles and noisy drums, it's uh, it's still good fun. You're braver than me. <laughs> but it's, it's, it sort of carries through, doesn't it? Because we never lose that love of music. And we're talking about film as well and, and soundtracks from films, how, you know, just a sort of change in the notes or the rhythm can affect you so much. And I just think that's fascinating. But yeah, it does seem to start from, from sort of baby age, doesn't it? It's yeah. incredible, really. Yeah, and there has been lots of research about it as well, how it helps and stimulates our brains and makes us feel happy. So it's just great all round, really. And what would you say um, it teaches young children to be part of a choir at such an early stage of their life? I think it's really good um, to teach them to socialise, really. Um, it just teaches them how to deal with other children, how to listen to other children, how to listen to an adult me as the teacher that they they don't necessarily know um, and it just teaches them how to share we often have to share instruments and we do struggle a little with that one sometimes um, but I think it's just great for them to come together and listen and watch and learn from each other and, and start learning about music. So tell us about the sort of child you're looking for then we're not um, looking for excellence at this stage. No no not at all any child we are welcoming to all children as one of my amuse policies is that we love to welcome all children of any or no ability at all. <laughs> and uh, how can people get involved with this preschool choir then? Well the preschool choir starts a week today and we're up at Onken Scout Hall um, and you can email us at myamu@manx.net, or you can find us on Facebook where you can find all the details there about all our classes. And we will put those uh, details on the Women Today Facebook page but oh, I just there is something about the thought of a group of little toddlers or the preschoolers singing. I think it's great. Do you choose the songs that they're going to sing then for this? I will be choosing the songs, yes. Will it be like pop hits? or? I think so. I think we'll have a mixture, a mixture of nice things and nursery rhymes and fun ones. Move over NHS choir, I say. <laughs> you never know, we might have a number one on our hands oh, here. Definitely. This is, again, the sort of thing that should be filmed, isn't it? You know, I could see this as a very, very popular television programme. It would be call extremely it? entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Mini musicians. Oh, oh, I like oh, it. Gosh, That's good. You know, you, know, you need Christy there, who I is do. obviously um, an artist. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, I think you could really give them some guidance. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could cope, to be fair. <laughs> if I can't cope with having children of my own, then I think a large amount of other people's is probably not going to go down too well. <laughs> um, and when, what happens to the parents when the children are in the choir? Do they stay around to watch? So the parents stay around and can watch. We've got a room uh, next door to where we sing um, with tea and coffee so they can go and have a half an hour chat, even, oh, uh, which I know I would value as a mother of young children. Thank you so much for downloading the Women Today podcast. As ever, if there's a guest, 
guest you'd like to hear on the show or something you think we should be talking about, then we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via email. It's womentoday at manxradio.com or you can go to the Women Today Facebook page, like and follow the page while you're there or we're also on Twitter. It's at MRWomenToday. Until next time, goodbye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click Shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.